As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks, Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trey Kirby, and I'm joined today in the stream yard by our local F1 expert, a man who has tennis takes, Graydon Gordian. Graydon, what's up, man? Oh my gosh, it's, it is, what, what incredible tennis we've been seeing lately, but it doesn't compare to the great racing we've been seeing lately. Let's sail away. To the sunny shores of Monaco, my friends. <laughs> Come sail away. Graydon, I don't know. I saw your tweets. They looked, uh, and I was hearing some updates from Lee Ellis uh, last night about Nadal versus uh, Jokovic. Sounded pretty intense. That might have been a. It was been actually than terrific. Yeah, it was actually probably a better sporting event. Yeah, it was. It was really good. It's, you know, I love the French Open. Uh, the French Open? Is it one of the better Opens out there? It's, it's, it's one for me, one of the top four majors out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah good choices uh we also got jd here sitting there on pit row uh you may hear some delicious sounding birds coming from jd yeah i mean i guess that's one of the good things when we're back in the yard jd can actually get in the yard in between shows that's exactly right yep i tested positive for the novel coronavirus covid19 so Back streaming, back streaming. Shout out to everybody joining us here live in the Slipstream team on YouTube, or maybe you're a part of the pod squad listening later. Thank you very much. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, okay? We never asked for it on this show, but we could really use them. They help for some reason, uh, and, and we like hearing compliments about ourselves. So feel free to toss those in. We're here, though, to break down everything that happened at the 2022 Monaco Grand Prix we're going to start with Quali, quali on Saturday because, Graydon, last week on the show, you said this is the most important qualifying session of the season. Had some interesting things happen. You had to like what you saw from Charles Leclerc on Saturday, locking down pole position for the second straight year. Didn't crash in the very last turn. Saturday, looking good for Ferrari. What do you think, Graydon? I mean, Saturday could not have gone better for Ferrari. It was... Their car 
was built for this track. We thought it would perform well, and they put in some spanking laps. Charles, in particular, was absolutely crushing it. And on that final lap, uh, he looked to be outpacing everybody by maybe even half a second. He he was flying out there. He had to feel good Saturday. He's proving to be kind of the king of Saturday. If yeah. anything, the problem is you, uh, in most weekends, you don't score points on Saturday. That's the problem. So, but I mean, it was great. In general, I think qualifying was exciting. Uh, oftentimes, Saturday is the most exciting day over the Monaco Grand Prix weekend. So, you know, and I, I think it, you know, it didn't disappoint this year. You saw some great laps. Uh, you know, people were, I don't know, I, I was super impressed with what Ferrari did. It looked like they had set themselves up to capitalize on what was a critical weekend for the team. Definitely looked like uh, we were heading towards the first Monegasque driver winning in Monaco. Because like you're saying, Leclerc qualified on pole, but maybe his last lap was going to be even better. Didn't he say like that's the best lap he's had in his career or something along those lines? I mean, he he was beating his own lap, which had been a good third of a second ahead of the rest of the field on his previous hot lap, he was beating that lap by almost half a second. I mean, he was going to spank everybody else before Sergio Perez spun out, put it in the wall, had a wreck with Carlos Sainz, kind of ruined everybody else's lap. Max Verstappen himself admitted, even though he was on a good lap, that he was not going to beat Charles. He acknowledged that. At best, he was going to move up into second. So I think that was – but there was other people who who performed really well as well. I thought you, you saw a good qualifying from George Russell in a track that probably didn't necessarily favor Mercedes. You saw, I thought, a terrific qualifying performance from Fernando Alonso, from Sir Sebastian Vettel. Um, I thought, you know, everybody who managed to squeak there uh, – Meanwhile, you saw a couple of people who I expected to perform a little better, probably Valtteri Botas, most notably, not make it into Q3. Um, so I think there was some surprises, good and bad, on both sides. But, you know, the drivers, for all of the challenges that race day provides, the drivers love driving on this track, right? They, they love the challenges of it, and I think they showed that on Saturday. Yeah, so we ended up with both Ferraris in the front row. Leclerc on pole, Sainz in P2. The Red Bulls shared the second row, Perez in P3. Verstappen P4. Also, shout out to Lando Norris. Had a good one. Finished P5 in quality right ahead of George For Russell sure. in P6. And then on down through there, which brings us to Sunday. And Graydon, this was a race. <laughs> you know, we like to say this was this was a real game of basketball. When we saw a good game of basketball, and when it's just an okay game, it was just a game. This one was the race. So let's take a look at the point scorers here real quick uh, from Monaco. Here's your top 10. Sergio Perez taking P1, becoming the first Mexican driver to win in Monaco, becoming the most successful Mexican driver in Formula 1 history, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Uh, definitely a surprise win for Perez there. P2 for Sainz, P3 for Verstappen, who was definitely the second teammate on Red Bull this weekend. I thought that was interesting to see. And there you see your guy, Graydon Charles Leclerc, finishing P4 after sitting on pole on Saturday. On down 5 through 10, we've got Russell, Norris, Alonso, Hamilton, Bottas, and Vettel after uh, an Ocon penalty dropped him to P11 after the race. Graydon, usually what we do is go through this race with some categories, but not all of them were applicable this time around. So we're stealing from no dunks again. It's time to play What You Yacht. What you got? What you got? What you got? 
one of our sickest stingers, if you ask yeah. me. It does Agreed. say what you got, but we're talking about Monaco, so it's gotta be what you got. Graydon, I'm gonna give you a couple of choices on a topic. You can take it whichever way you want. We went through the point scorers already. The big story up top, obviously, Sergio Perez with the win. But it only happened after some odd tire strategy, you could say, from the Ferrari team. So my first question for you, what you yacht? Did Red Bull win the Monaco Grand Prix or did Ferrari lose it? What you yacht? I'm saying right here, right now, Ferrari lost this mm-hmm. Grand Prix. They were they they had a front row lockout. You have all of the strategic opportunities open to you this race. You can split strategies. You know, you can, I understand that the rain threw a lot of curveballs out there, but Charles Leclerc was a good five, almost six seconds clear of Carlos Sainz when Sergio Perez first pitted. You were in clear control of this race with the ability to be proactive and to maintain your position at the front of the field, no matter what Red Bull did. Uh, it did, they Red Bull has an incredibly fast car, but they didn't have the faster car out there on Sunday, and they didn't have the preferred position to start the race. and And position out there on the track is more critical in Monaco than anywhere else. This is such a critical challenge for Ferrari this year. Who I, I personally believe that the gap between the, the Ferrari and the Red Bull car is actually much narrower than a lot of people are making it out to be. I think it is razor thin. Where I think the bigger gap is, is in strategy, where Red Bull is supremely confident and supremely clear-minded about every choice they make and super aggressive. Oppositely, Ferrari is conservative. They're anxious. They're uncertain. They're getting out there, you know, getting several laps. And the fact that they're even debating with Carlos Sainz, you know, about whether they should be running long on the wets or going to inters, whether they should be waiting to go straight onto the dries, they need to be clear and confident and dictatorial. The left and right, they they if they weren't uncertain, they were incorrect. And that is just not going to cut it when you have a Red Bull team with as powerful as a car as they have. And that is so sharp on strategy. So that to me is is where Ferrari is losing this. Uh, you know, it's and that it, it costs them big time. You know, it costs them big time. You're talking you're talking two weekends in a row, two races where Charles Leclerc probably had the fastest car on track across both weekends, and they all they brought home across the two is points for fourth place. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's pretty wild to go from P1 in uh, a race where if you're sitting P1, you're loving it. Uh, And you're thinking, I'm going to be taking this one home. Especially, you know, we ended up with a later start. The race didn't end up going full distance. So you don't even have to hold on for an entire 77 laps. Uh, But to finish P4 from P1 is crazy. You're right that the uncertainty stuck out, especially like when Leclerc came in for the second one and as he's pulling into the pits and they're saying, no, 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 go back out. And he's like, what? You can tell, obviously, he was heated. But what is the mistake they made? Was it just try not reacting fast enough to what Red Bull was doing? Should they have just, even if they made the wrong choice, should they have just stuck with it? So the mistakes, I think, start earlier than even the blown double stack, mm-hmm. it starts with Perez's first pit stop, which he goes in and they they really just blow the transition from wets to enters. You know, it's not just that they pitted 
Leclerc twice. Perez also pitted twice, and Max also pitted twice. You know, they lost. They all lost the same amount of time in the pits. You know, bar a little bit of extra time in Leclerc's second stop. But they, when in that lap that Leclerc is coming in to change to enters, you know, Perez outpaces him by seven seconds. That yeah. lap, he puts in a spanker once the tires, once you cross that Rubicon, and it's now time for enters. They should have. You know, they should have been more reactive. They should have been quicker on the trigger to get him in or left him out. Once you were at that point and you saw the time that he was doing, they needed to preserve that extra pit stop time so they could feed him out back in first. And that's basically what they did with signs, right? Was keeping him out. And he made the call. You could even hear it on um, hear it on the radio saying, we're going straight to slicks. He never went to intermediates, uh, whereas Leclerc had to stop twice, which is why he dropped down to P4. You know, maybe if uh, if Signs doesn't end up behind a Williams slowing down on his outlap, maybe he has a chance at P1. But that was clearly the smarter strategy, not pitting for Inters or going for Inters right away. It was kind of like Ferrari was bad twice with Leclerc, right? Like they were yeah. too slow to go to Inters and then too fast to go to Slicks. And, you know, from Signs' part... I guess maybe he was thinking that the hard tires would light up a little bit faster or they would have the extra 13 laps or whatever we didn't get at the end of the race to to actually overtake Perez there at the end. But it seemed like a double botch uh, for both cars and specifically for Leclerc. Is there any sort of an advantage for Red Bull running behind the two Ferraris to be like, all right, we can try whatever we want. We can be the aggressive ones here and they're going to have to react to us and maybe they'll panic, which they did. There's a, a sure there's an advantage in the sense that the undercut is a serious risk and you're the one that kind of gets to dictate when the undercut happens but that's a that's mitigated by the fact that Ferrari locked out the front row and they do have that other guy that they can split strategy with to seemingly control that. So it shouldn't have been so problematic and like such an uncertain moment for Ferrari. Red Bull did get a little bit lucky in the sense that when they pitted Perez, he came out behind Lando and that threatened to really mess up Perez's strategy if Lando hadn't then quickly pitted and freed him into open air. Oppositely, Carlos got a little bit unlucky coming out behind the Williams and getting stuck there. But that's also pit strategy at Monaco. You've got to be looking at, at the gap you release guys into. You know, that that's part of the pu- piece of the puzzle, right? So they, I, it seems to me that there's just a lot of factors here that they didn't consider. But the most important thing, I think, is acting with confidence, which they just really failed to do. Um, they... Is this a so, new thing, Ferrari, or is this a... No, this is, I mean, this is a tale as old as time. I mean, they are like, they, they are the most self-defeating team in Formula One by a country mile, right? This is Ferrari strategic mishaps, strategic failures are, are go back years. I mean, this isn't even just, you know, recent history mistakes they made with Vettel or mistakes they've made during the Leclerc era, but back when Alonso was, you know, writing for that, you know, twice Alonzo, actually, over the course of his career, in three separate instances, Alonzo is eight championship points away from being a five-time world champion, and he's only a two-time world champion. <laughs> uh, but so he is, but two of those times are with Ferrari losing to Red Bull by single-digit points. I believe three points and four points Alonso lost to Vettel in a Ferrari for the entire championship. And 
That was preceded by tons of small strategic mistakes over the course of that season that cost them the razor-thin margin that totally changed the difference in what level of greatness we perceive Fernando Alonso to be. So this is a decade-old issue that we're dealing with here. I right. was completely unaware that Mattia Bonato was Italian for Doc Rivers, but <laughs> yeah, right. seems to be holding up. Uh, so that's our first What You Yacht. Our next one's a bit more fun. Graydon, oh, before we move on, though, I got to say, uh, major shout out to Sergio Perez. I thought he was actually oh, great in this God. race. He seized the opportunity. Uh, I thought it was awesome seeing, you know, the last uh, four, five, six laps of the race. The top four basically nose to tail through the end. It's tough to overtake in Monaco. It's also really tough to overtake Sergio Perez in general. So he did an awesome job uh, defending to hold on to the win. We've heard a lot this season, I feel like, um, on the broadcast about how well he does accelerating out of slow corners, which is, you know, kind of like a, a surprising thing to hear as a, a strength. But it obviously came through in Monaco. So awesome win from him and a pretty solid 100%. flip into the Red Bull pool as well. But our next What You Yacht, definitely a bit more fun. Definitely the thing you and I and Nora talked about the most this weekend. It's Charles Leclerc's pre-race pants. Let's take a look at these pants here. The front is jeans. The back is jeans. The side is track pants. So, Graydon, what you yacht? Are Leclerc's pants jeans or track pants? I, okay, I, I think they're jeans. I would call these <laughs> jeans. But I should have, when I yeah. saw this photo, I should have known that he was taking an L this weekend. I should have never been so confident having seen a man in these pants believing that he would win the Monaco Grand Prix because I, I'm not a fan of not this Not a fan outfit. of these pants? I'm not a fan of these pants. Yeah. And I, I think, think of him as a stylish guy. Stylish. Yeah. You know. Yeah, this is uh, this is just like Ferrari was indecisive with their tire strategy. Charles Leclerc was indecisive with his pants. Couldn't decide. Am I going straight denim or am I going, going track pants here? But I agree with you. I think if you were looking for these on a website, they would be underneath denim for whatever reason. So I think that's right. a wild pair of pants. Uh, but you can tell he had the confidence being there at his home race. If you show up wearing those pants, you're feeling good. Yeah, that's a man who's comfortable in his own skin. I'll give him that, right? You know, he's he's in his element. Yeah, you know, definitely. I'm at, I don't I don't have to I don't have to get all gussied up when I'm at home, and and he's on his home turf, so neither does he apparently. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, anyways, one of the reasons we decided not to do categories is because Graydon, you looked at the doc uh, yesterday and said, "Best moment? Was there a best moment?" <laughs> Not a ton of racing action in Monaco. We had the top four chasing each other at the end, which I mentioned earlier, which was cool. We had another big crash from Mick Schumacher, and we had some funny stuff, I would say, where Lewis Hamilton just could not get around in Alpine, which left us with the top six having their own race and the bottom 14 having their own race on the complete other side of the track. Graydon, is there anything else that stuck out to you race-wise in Monaco? No, that was, I mean, that one graphic where the two clusters of cars are on literal opposite ends of the track is, is, is truly incredible. But that, those are, I mean, those are probably the best moments. Other than I think that the other thing that sticks out to me actually is the very start of the race where I, I think that yet again, the FIA probably flubbed this a little bit. I think they probably could have gotten going. And if I know it really poured at one point, and maybe that would have forced a red flag, but the conditions 
when the race was supposed to start were fine to start on wets. The drivers seemed to want to go. They were complaining about that a lot. The team seemed to want to go. It, it seemed to me like they should have just started the race rather than delayed it for all the time that they did. But that's not a that's not like a I don't know that's a low light not a highlight. I yeah, think. I so. mean it was pouring at like you know technical oh, race yeah. start time. It was really coming down. Um, but this isn't the Atlanta Grand Prix, is what I'm thinking. Like Lewis Hamilton says, F1 drivers know how to drive in the rain. Here in Atlanta, it's not a guarantee. But oh, F1 drivers know how to drive in the in the rain, so they would have been fine. But I also do kind of agree. I think it was Russell who said, yeah, I think we could have started. But we also probably would have had to stop. So, I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird thing. It seemed to be uh, an overly conservative call, especially considering people like wet races. And especially considering it really levels the playing field. And in Monaco, maybe that would have been... Fun to see, you know, a wet race in Monaco. Yeah. Have, have there been any classics in Monaco with uh, in with a uh, in the wets? Oh yeah, that is honestly some of the great races in F one history are in the wets in Monaco. That is, I mean, it is like the great equalizer, and it it causes a lot of chaos. I mean, let's be real, even the chaos that we saw among the top four and the swatching swapping of spots would not have happened in the dry. Like that, it just would. I, I just absolutely 100% believe that Leclerc would have just probably just cruised to first if it was a dry race. It, you know, there, there's one instance in which you have to make a stop. He probably nails it. It's probably fine. You know, right? There's, But it causes a lot of questions. And, and, it, and what we didn't see was, I think, you know, people... We didn't see a lot of mayhem because of, of some big, big wrecks uh, because of the rain. Uh, we saw actually a few notable saves, mm -hmm. but we didn't see any like, which is oftentimes the cause of the chaos. So what a beautiful segue from you right there, Graydon, because like you said, we had two pretty cool saves on the track, which brings us to our next, what you yacht. Carlos Sainz hit a wet part of the track on lap 24, nearly spun out, but he did save it. Crofty called it the save of the season, but just a few laps later, lap 39, Alfa Romeo's Zhou Guan Yu pulled off his own spectacular save before flying through the chicane there down at the end. So what you got, what was the better save, Signs or Zhou Guan Yu? I'm going to go with Zhou here. This is, he is like at one point in this save is almost perpendicular to the rest of the track. I mean, really is flipping, flipping hard. He gets lucky that there is a chicane up front and he can just run straight through it, uh, which I'll give Carlos credit for that. He saves without having to, uh, you know, take any kept runoff. Racing, yeah. Yeah, kept racing, you know, and, and, and Joe couldn't. But, you know, Joe's car is really out of control for a moment there. So to not put it into a wall in Monaco when your car is that out of control is impressive. In its yeah. own weird, probably shouldn't have been out of control in the first place kind of way, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like you always tell me when you're the best overtaker, it means you're starting from the back. So <laughs> to be the best saver means you got to spin in the first place. But I'm with you. Uh, Zhou Guan Yu definitely had the better save. First, like you're saying, it was Fast and Furious, Monaco Drift. He's completely sideways uh, coming down the road there, which was awesome. And secondly, you heard him on the radio afterwards saying, I'm going to need new pants. Great joke in the spur of the moment, and yeah. you know maybe accurate. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. If fireproof underwear help with uh, skid marks, but I guess good for him for just making a joke in yeah. real time. I mean, I 
probably wouldn't. I feel like I make <laughs> yeah. jokes on our podcast and we're just sitting here supposed to be talking. Meanwhile, he's racing a car around Monaco and is, is you know, got enough time for a little scatological humor. Good for him. Yeah, well, let us know down in the comments if you think Graydon is better at jokes than Joe Guan Yu. I think, <laughs> I think you're pretty good with jokes, man. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. Anyways, uh, I mentioned it earlier. Mick Schumacher did have another big crash. He spun out, was not able to save it. Uh, went into the wall there. And because of the way the cars are made, looked really bad. Again, the back split off from the front. I guess the back is way heavier. And then the cars are obviously quite fragile as well. I saw that Mick's starting to take a little bit of heat here now, Graydon. This is his second big crash of the season. You know, Magnussen has been competitive uh, more so at the beginning of the year, but this was the first time that uh, both Haas's didn't finish a race. Should Mick be doing better? He was so close to the points in the last couple of races, but also he hasn't scored in the points yet. Yeah, I, I'm not quite to the place where you know I'm ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater on Mick. You know, it is while a much more competitive car than last year. I think you could also make an argument that that K Mag is is really overperforming the car. I mean, he's just driving the pants off a bit. That being said, this is a very disappointing week for Haas overall, right? This is a great chance for them to score points just as long as they do well on Saturday and to have two DNFs, you know, and in a car that probably they did go into the weekend feeling strong about people, I think, predicted that they would be able to be competitive. It just, to walk away with zero points is a real shame. We'll see with Mick. At the end of the day, I think he, you know, listen, is he getting a little bit of grace because of his last name? For sure. There is a whole sea of people out there who want to see him succeed, you know, and are and are eager and optimistic and will highlight every near points finish as if it's progress or something like that and forget about the wrecks, forget about the blown weekends. So he's got that going for him. But at the same time, he does have tons of talent and I think he's, you know, I'm I'm willing to give him another year or two to, you know, figure it out and see if he can make it click. So. Yeah, I thought, uh, I think Gunther Steiner said, we'll have to see which way, what we do in the future, which is kind of a non-committal way of saying anything other than Mick is struggling. And I think the difference is that, you know, last year for Haas, it was Schumacher and Mazepin, two rookies, and Mazepin was the worst driver on the grid. Now he's getting compared to a legitimate driver in Magnussen, who, even if he didn't finish this race, has been solid throughout the season. So maybe Mick's shortcomings are sticking out a little bit more. Yeah, I think unlike last year, there's no expectation that he'd be outperforming his, you know, his his teammates. That would be really impressive if he was doing that, you know, a veteran F1 driver. But at some point, I think, listen, this is a car that clearly can get in the points. It can be competitive on both Saturday and Sunday. And we're going to need to see that if we get to the end of the season and he's still sitting there at the bottom of the standings with zero points, you know, it's time to ask some tough questions um, about it. So, I drove by a Haas company store this weekend. I was oh, yeah. back. Uh, I was back in Chicago for a wedding. Uh, I think we we must have been in Rosemont. I don't know where it was, and I just saw the Haas sign. I was like, "What? Let's pull over." We were on the highway, so we couldn't. But they're out there. They are out there. Gene what do you Huss. buy? Yeah, like what do you buy at a Haas a, company store? Isn't it a? Isn't it like a metal working? Isn't it like some sort of like machine, <laughs> like mach, like machinery kind of like, yeah, like a sick welding factory? helmet or something like that? Yeah, it's. I don't think it's. I don't think. I think it's more of like a B two B thing. I don't know, uh, but it's. I I I I think it's something like that. There's there, 
you know, they do machinery and metalworking or something like that. I don't well, know. I'm going to make it a point to stop the next time I can. Maybe find me a, a Mick hat or something like that, because I think that guy's still going to get points at some point in his career. What a okay. what a prediction. Lando Norris is going to win a race and Mick Schumacher is going to get points. Which happens first, Graydon? Ooh, wow. I think Lando wins a race first. Oh, oh, oh wow oh. interesting okay okay i don't know I, he feels he feels close to me i understand that they're not close in the sense that they're clearly the fourth best team but it, it, i feel like it, they could have a just enough chaos is it, just a dash of chaos could leave Lando in the right place to finally win a race. Yeah, McLaren's definitely, well, at least Lando has seemed to uh, find the car a little bit here. So that's good to see and something I'll be tracking to rub in your face at some point. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, I'm just, Mick is now going to get points like in in Baku, like the very next race now. That's all that means. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Our last question, one I didn't think I would be asking, Graydon. Monaco is the most famous Grand Prix in Formula One. It's one of the triple crown of auto racing, but you heard it on the broadcast. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. I even saw it in a chain bear video after the race. People aren't so sure that Monaco should still be on the schedule, basically because the cars have gotten too big and too fast, which can sometimes lead to boring racing. So, Graydon, what you got? Keep Monaco or ditch Monaco? Okay, I have thought a lot about this over the years, and I would like to keep Monaco, but with a caveat, which is I think they have to change the race structure a little bit. I think, first of all, we already have weekends that are meaningfully different. We already have some weekends that have sprint races and others that don't. And actually, if you look back through the history of F1, there's wildly different structures that are explored. So to me, it's like, let's change the structure of Monaco to make it a more exciting race. My preferred solution here, which I originally saw proposed by Chain Bear, and I think is a great idea, is to add a Joker lap, which if you're unfamiliar, Joker laps are something they do in World Rally Car, where there is a alternate path, like a longer version of the lap that you have to take at some point. You must do one version of the Joker lap. Now, you could have it, you could have it to be you have to do the Joker lap six times or ten times or you have to do it once every certain number of laps or something like that, right? There's different ways you could structure it. But that means that you have to choose strategically when to take a longer, slower route and when to be faster. That adds another layer of strategy, allows for different overtaking opportunities, complicates the entire race in such a way that it is not assuredly a parade on on sunny days. So I think that that to me is a really, really interesting way of, you know, of solving this problem that has precedent in broader motorsports. I think something like that is needed if we're going to keep it, but we should definitely keep it. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, and I love your suggestion. It seems uh, it seems impossible to have a Formula One schedule without Monaco on it. Uh, if you don't have a triple crown in your sport, why do people care as much? And, you know, even Monaco, uh, a race that, you know, like Laura, Laura likes to watch the races with me, but not always. She's like, ooh, Monaco, my favorite. It's a lot of people's favorites just because it looks awesome. It's got the history. It's so ritzy. The celebrations are great. 
people love 100%. boats, people love water. Uh, so keep it, and yeah, I mean, the sound of this Joker lap, that'd be very cool. Something to just throw a wrinkle in there. And like you're saying, there are so many races already where things are different that changing up the just a little bit of a pathway on this might be the way to go to make it a little bit more exciting. There's definitely opportunities to do it, right? You know, little roundabouts, little extensions of it. It's because it is that uh, there's... There's a bunch of opportunities for it. I think it's worth considering. You are right. It is for casual fans, for new entrants to the sport. They love it. It's oftentimes one of the very few, if not the only race they've ever heard of on the calendar. But oftentimes they show up to watch it and it doesn't deliver on their expectations because it ends up being you know, a somewhat unexciting weekend. If we could change that and make it a really exciting Sunday, I think that has huge potential for the sport. So hopefully they find a solution. I hope that they're able to renegotiate a contract with the principality and they're able to be open-minded about what the format of the weekend looks like. Has the layout of the track changed over the course of the years? It's actually, I okay, I'm not going to say like it is literally never changed as I want to say maybe the very very first one was a little different but it's remarkably consistent it is like incredibly similar to what it's been for decades I think maybe somebody in the slipstream team tell me if I'm wrong but if there have been changes they're comparatively minor I think you know it's that 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 actual track layout that shape is like fairly iconic and has been you know, and that's why all the corners are so well known. Like sure. Raskas, they all have Cino, names. They all have names, and they because they've been because they've driven through them time and time and time and time again for for decades. You know, so yeah. which would be your favorite part of the track to drive? Ooh, I, I think it's got to be the tunnel. The tunnel looks awesome. Which yeah. the tunnel looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it the would tunnel be looks awesome. Sick. And Brundle, like the way Brundle talks about it, he's like, it's even more intense than it looks like when you're watching the race. A lot well, tighter, and you're like you, yeah. you know, the 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 light differences being dark in the tunnel to the light at the end of the tunnel are are pretty intense. Very and intense. I, and hard in the wet too, right? Because sure. you're like on the wets, you go into the tunnels dry, you come back out onto the wets. It's like a really challenging moment there. Interesting fact: I believe the tunnel is actually the fastest turn in the F1 calendar, slightly faster than the series of fast turns that you have at Silverstone, which are exceptionally fast. Um, But then, yeah, Beckett's and the like. And then the hairpin is the slowest Slowest, turn on the F1 calendar. So I believe it has both the slowest and fastest turn on the F1 calendar. Yeah, there were so many moments through that slow hairpin where it was like Signs was right up to Perez and then oh Verstappen was right up to Signs. That was amazing that none of them touched like at all. Uh, that was that was awesome. Um, so it's a city course. They take down the track afterwards, but obviously the tunnel is still there. Yeah. Do, do they even like put a speed limit there? There's no way anybody goes like, I mean, they're not driving miles per hour, but nobody's going 55 through the tunnel. Nobody's going 35 through the oh, tunnel. You've got to go pedal to the middle. I would gun it, yeah, through the tunnel for sure. Surely, I have always wanted surely to Surely the Monegasque cops are just sitting out there just <laughs> waiting for people the week after. We got you, suckers. I got to presume, I would love to, yeah, like go to Monaco, rent a car and, and drive the track. See how fast you could do it. There's got to be like rental language when you rent a car in Monaco. They're like, you cannot drive this 180 miles an hour. You have to swear to us. We put a governor on it. We did keep one category though, Graydon. Full Beans Driver of the Weekend. 
So who is giving you, or who are you giving your beans to after this weekend? Who really went for it? And just for confirmation, we did hear Brundle say you got to give it full beans during qualifying. And I think it was during Verstappen going through the tunnel of all places. So you can go full beans through that tunnel. Who's getting your beans, Graydon? I, I think for me, I mean, this is, maybe it feels like an obvious pick, but I'm giving it to Checo. I think it's a great drive. I mean, so excited for him to get a win, especially following a race that I think for him was very frustrating, you know, the, to, given the way the team orders played out for him in Spain to come back, get a victory, you know, cement his status as, you know, as the guy in Red Bull next to Max for the foreseeable future. And I think just, you know, I don't know. It, it was a, you, you made a point earlier. Yes, I think Ferrari lost the race, but 100% right. When the door opened, Checo was ready to walk through it. Good for him. There were other guys I considered. Valtteri, I think, drove a great race, jumping up a few points. Uh, you know, awesome stuff. And I think... Uh, you know, Russell and Lando, I think both deserve a lot of credit for the race they put in. But Checo was on the top step. He's my guy this week. Yeah, you got all the names that I was interested in. Checo for winning uh, a surprising one. And honestly, like being the better driver than Verstappen the entire weekend. So shout out to him. Russell, like you said, maintained his streak of being the only guy to finish in the top five for every single race. Norris, P5 in quali, P6 in the race. Good stuff. Uh, but I'm giving my beans to Valtteri Bottas. Out after Q2, still finished P9, and he gave Lewis Hamilton one of those Bottas pictures. Like, brought him a signed <laughs> version yeah, of it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, think, really uh, like I think Lewis says, says at the end of the clip, he's like, oh, I'm going to get my buns out the next time I'm in Colorado. <laughs> so, stay tuned for Lewis's Hamiltons. Oh. Hamiltons. Hamiltons. Yeah. Anyways, those are our beans, Checo and Valtteri. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about news and a little bit about some different cars. Stay around. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to No Breaks. The Monaco Grand Prix wasn't the only big race this weekend. Also had the Indy 500 in Indianapolis. 
as part of the IndyCar series, you know what they say, Graydon, there's more than just corn in Indiana. Did you know they said that? Did they, is they, and is the, is the reference there's also like motorsports or what are the No, no, the reference is there is Indiana Beach, uh, a place, okay. yeah, <laughs> a place where you can go on vacation, ride a rickety old roller coaster, see a bunch of carp eating popcorn. Well, I mean, I guess that's corn, but there is more there's than just others. corn in Indiana. Yeah, there's the, I think the, uh, the, the home of the Jackson 5. That's right, in, Gary, Indiana. In Gary. That's and, right. Uh, and the Brickyard. And uh, high school and college basketball. You know, high people, they love it there. Anyways, did you watch any of the Indy 500 this weekend, Graydon? I watched like five minutes of yeah. it. <laughs> I, did, I threw it on for a few minutes. I did Same. go back and rewatch the highlights. I didn't yeah. watch it end to end. I, I thought it was that. nice how, like, I, I feel like uh, Monaco ended at 11.30. Uh, I guess I was central time at this time. So it ended at, like, 11.30. And I think coverage for the Indy 500 started at maybe noon. It's like they had yeah. planned this out or something along those lines. You got any takeaways from the Indy 500? I mean, I was thrilled for Marcus Erickson to get a win. You know, he is, you know, with Chip Ganassi Racing, he's going up against a lot of big name teammates, you know, guys who are former, whether they're former champions in IndyCar or legends of motorsport like Jimmy Johnson, he has got some big name guys on his team. So for him to get the win is awesome. Our XF1 guy out there making it happen on the oval. Way to go, Marcus. Is there is there a big pipeline from F1 to IndyCar, uh, you know, being open wheel racing? I mean, uh, Romain Grosjean also went over to IndyCar. I mean, big pipeline would be an overstatement. Big pipeline would be an overstatement. But I definitely think guys, you know, go swap over to Indy, you know, later in their careers sometime. It seems like that's the way the pipeline flows more than from IndyCar into F1. It feels very hard to break into F1 if you're not actively in the F3, F2 kind of like feeders. Okay. I I mean, it just feels like statistically. The sure. overwhelming percentage of new drivers are coming from F2. Right? It usually goes the other way. I guess you got to be, you got to grow up with the curves rather than just the ovals. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, you know, so I think, but guys, but guys, when they, if they get towards the end of their careers, they jump over to Indy. Yeah. Seems like that happens, at, you know, a somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so like you yeah. said, Erickson, Erickson was a driver in Formula One until what? 2018, 2019? Yeah, maybe? for a bunch of years. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And then Grosjean yeah. obviously was around until the end of the 2020 season, maybe? So pretty recently. I'm surprised to up, see Jimmy Johnson was racing in, in IndyCar now. Yeah, I don't know. Takuma Sato, you know, put in time in F1. Um, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I, I can't rattle them all off the top of my head, but it's like if you go back and look through IndyCar, like over the years, there's plenty of dudes who, who did stints in F1 who then get a shot in Indy. Sure. One of my takeaways is that their cars are uglier. Very, very pointy. Uh, I guess this, the halo cockpit thing that they've added recently, yeah. that thing is intense on an Indy it car. Is. Very tall. Looks like a yeah. ship driving down the road. Other question I have for you about the Indy 500 is pretty simple. Do you like milk? Mm, no, not a milk guy. I actually was thinking I, I was thinking to myself as I saw Ericsson you know, chugging the crushing milk. The milk. I see this, crushing the milk every year is, I would feel awful if I had to win. I don't know what I'd do. If I won the Indy 500, I wouldn't want to do it. It would give me an upset stomach to slam that much milk. 
Yeah, a full thing of milk just all over yourself after a hot drive. Maybe it's refreshing, uh, but it's not the thing I would be looking for. Not for me. It's right not, away. It's not for me. No, it's not. I'm a bad. Can you do that? Can you be like, I'll pass? I don't uh, think so. I think that's a Lactose intolerant. No, thank uh, yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks. Yeah. Maybe even then you just take a little spin yeah, it out. You that sort of thing. Like a wine tasting or something yeah, along those it's lines. It's kind of more but, of like a head, like a down on the head thing. Let us know in the Slipstream team down in the comments. Do you like milk? One of the most important questions in No Breaks history. Moving on to some news. Our first headline comes to us from The Guardian. F1 schism with FIA deepens after controversial decisions in Monaco. We talked about it a little bit already, Graydon, but basically... The decision whether or not to start the Grand Prix was controversial amongst the drivers. We heard quite a few saying they could have started. We heard some saying they could have started, but maybe they stopped. Some said they made the right decision, but that was the big one from the weekend. Obviously, drivers have been complaining about a lot of things with the FIA all season, from jewelry and underwear to the way penalties are assessed to some drivers calling out uh, track barricades, and not to mention the way last season ended, which I think is crazy that we're now hearing rumblings Michael Massey might return. Graydon, is this just complaining about the league office of the Formula One, or is there anything that can really be done here or anything that needs to change? I don't think it's, it's as simple as just complaining it seems like it's such the complaints are so universal the frustration is coming from so many different corners there is kind of a when there's smoke there's fire issue here a little bit i don't know if i could confidently tell you what the solution is here i would say if i'm the fia you have to take this seriously because the complaints aren't just coming from the drivers the teams are starting to get frustrated and for the fia the F1 is an absolute cash cow. So they cannot just afford to ignore the frustration of, if the drivers are frustrated, that's one thing. But when the money folks up top start to get angry too, that can be really complicated. So, I mean, since Mohammed bin Salim took over of the FIA, things have been bumpy for sure. Mm-hmm. So you, I think it's time to maybe pivot a little bit or, or hopefully come back to the table and, and, and smooth things out a little bit here because right now, it doesn't feel like the the relationship between the drivers, the teams, Liberty Media, any of them, and the FIA is is super healthy. So they got to do something about this, I think. Yeah, I think it, was, it must have been after the last race of the season last year when we said you never want to end up talking about the officials in any sport. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that that's probably uh, the case here. A little bit too much ref talk Considering we're talking about like, you know, going into the the last race of the season last year, the biggest moment in F1 in the past decade, probably, you know, lots of eyes on the race and it ends in controversy. Here we've got Monaco Grand Prix, one of the most famous out there. It's not even starting on time and you're ending up having to deal with all of this off track stuff rather than the racing and the exciting stuff that all of the fans want to see. So I don't know. I I don't know what the solution is either. It's like a... let let the boys race, perhaps, is kind of what it just comes down to. But even that was Michael Massey's call at the end of the Abu Dhabi last year, and we saw that one. Yeah, there is. I, it, admittedly, there is a. It feels like a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, the thing on the FIA. FIA it's like, okay, are they being safe enough with walls? Are they being too? You know, and the material. Are they being too safe? Not letting them race in the rain? Are they? You know. 
letting drivers be too aggressive? Are they not? Are they trying to restrict them too much? Whatever. It's, there definitely is. It's it's not exactly clear to me what everybody wants the FIA to do, but it does feel like right now it's like everybody is unhappy with them. <laughs> yes. Like it's like like the, it is so many complaints from so many different corners of F one that it does feel like something's got to give. So. Yeah, exactly right. It's kind of like everybody is like us on this podcast. They're like, I don't know what needs to change, but something needs to change. Something's <laughs> got to be a true. little bit better here. I haven't heard like a proposal from somebody yet that makes sense to me. Nobody's out there being like, and the thing I want the FIA to do is X. Nobody no. says that. They're this just like. This is messed up. That's how yeah, they're like, this is messed up. This isn't how this is. This isn't how this should be. That's all people know. That's like, all I know too. So. When somebody hands you a giant glass of milk after a hot race, this is messed up. Our next headline is from FormulaOne.com. Red Bull gives Sergio Perez a new two-year deal until the end of 2024. Uh, Apparently, he actually signed this extension before winning in Monaco, which led to a great clip where you can hear him tell Christian Horner, I signed too early. Graydon, what are your thoughts on Sergio getting an extension there with Red Bull? Yeah, I mean, it seems seems deserved you know i think sergio has done a good job for them certainly he's shown great progress from last year where i think halfway two-thirds of the way through last season you you know people were honestly asking i was honestly asking is sergio better in this seat than say pierre gasly you know or you know i think there was other guys you could have considered teaming up with max but in this instance he's he's been a great teammate he's looked great he looks really comfortable in this new car um, he seems uh, well positioned to help them, you know, win constructors championships. I don't know that he'll truly challenge Max for a title ever, but you know, it, it's great. Good for Checo, a guy who was right on the edge of being out of the league, you know, right razor's edge of that. It's awesome to see him like thriving, extending his career. So I'm you know, really pumped for him. Yeah, it's really cool to see him actually succeed getting a chance in a quality car having driven for – he was a Williams guy before and a racing point and all the different iterations that they had where they were, you know, a little yeah. bit competitive, but they weren't challenging. And like you said, it was pretty tough in the first couple thirds of the season last year, but he had some great moments down the stretch. He had uh, – I think he gave Verstappen an awesome toe in qualifying in Abu Dhabi, if I remember, and then he had yeah. that great defending uh, against Hamilton – in the last half of the race in Abu Dhabi, which really allowed Max to get back in striking distance for the restart later on. He was a great teammate then, and he's been better this season, like you're saying, uh, defending and showing up and just being a reliable driver, which has kind of been what Red Bull's been looking for uh, since Verstappen has kind of seized the reins there. I will say the one thing this complicates is life for some other people kind of in uh, kind of down the grid you know if you're pierre gasly you know kind of sitting over at alpha tower you got to ask yourself okay what's my future now am i ever going to get another shot at the red bull seat and if not how do i get in a car that can compete you know for podiums compete for wins if you're yuki Tsunoda, who i know we don't seriously think but he obviously steps into the alpha tower role thinking one day i want to drive for red bull mm-hmm. everybody at alpha tower thinks that you know, he probably has a little bit more time. He probably is, you know, he's so young that he could probably say, well, maybe Perez will be gone by the time I'm ready. But certainly for Gasly, I think it puts pressure on where might he go? Where would he end up? 
Is, is Ricardo seated McLaren under threat? What's going to happen after Lewis Hamilton retires? Who's the next guy at Mercedes? These things are unclear. And that's probably where Pierre's head has to be right now, given this Perez extension. Well, good stuff for Checo to get the extension. We shall see what becomes of AlphaTauri because you're right. They got some talented drivers and usually that's kind of the, the, the career path for those drivers, right? You move from AlphaTauri to maybe being the second driver to Red Bull. And if you're Max Verstappen, you eventually become the first driver and a world champion. Now to the off-track stuff. Graydon, this headline comes from, from Bleacher Report. F1 stars Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz do voiceovers in Disney movie Lightyear. Yes, the origin story of Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story franchise. Apparently, Leclerc is going to appear in the Italian version doing some voiceover work. Sainz will appear in the Spanish version. I just want to know... Obviously, you're a huge Buzz Lightyear fan, so you're going to yeah, be seeing this. Sure. But yeah. are you going to track down the international versions to hear Charles and Carlos on the mic? I, you know, I have watched the international versions of all the previous tour stories. I've uh-huh. watched each in five, six different languages. So was I already going to do this? Yes, probably. Will but now I there's something special. Do? Now there's something. Now there's, oh, I really have something to look forward to here which is recognizing the voice of whatever <laughs> character they are. <laughs> recognizing the voice of a character, man. That'll be wild. Wow. Just going, just tracking down the Italian version of I Lightyear so you can pull the Leo <laughs> meme. I know that voice. Uh, yeah, that's a big, a big point. Wait, I presume this is, I, I just was very presumptuous. I presume this is some extension of the Toy Story franchise, right? Oh, yeah, it's a, okay. it, is, it is the origin story for Buzz Lightyear. Like, when he comes when he comes in 1995 to Toy Story 1, he thinks he's already a superhero. Uh, so this movie is all about his life. I mean, he's not a real, his real, you know, no, his, his character's it. life as a superhero. Got it. Understood. I will probably okay. watch it, if I'm being honest. I think Lewis Hamilton has done a voice in the Pixar universe. Uh, he was maybe in Cars 2. One of the Cars movies. Yeah, racing one of those cars. But uh, yeah, okay. I, I didn't know about Formula 1 way back then. Which Formula I, 1 driver do you think would be the best actor, Graydon? Oh, wow. What a question. Um, what Formula 1 driver would be the best actor well if it was the 1980s the easy answer is max verstappen being like a ski resort villain oh like a bad guy yeah Yeah. he could he could you could easily slot him in as as like a james bond villain or as anything like that right but i also think you could slot in like george russell as like country club rival villain like kind of bully you know what i mean like i kind of like like guy who's like smales or like somebody like a like a i'm gonna be telling my father about this (laughs) type of like like, kind of like rich brat type character i think he would slot into that perfectly all right, let us know in the comments, uh, which F1 driver would you like to see in a movie and what kind of role would they play? We've got one last little piece of news. It's actually a tweet from Kimi Raikkonen, a former F1 driver who retired after last season. In classic Kimi form, it simply says, we are racing again. Because Kimi is joining NASCAR. Great. what are your thoughts on this one? <laughs> I love it. He, I mean... 
first of all, this actually isn't his first NASCAR stint. During his previous retirement, you know, you know, over a decade ago, he did the NASCAR Truck Series very briefly. Um, I don't know how many races he did, but he did. So he has a little bit of experience on this side of the pond, you know, doing the rubbing that is racing and going, turning left. But I think that, he, you know, he, I, I, I'm pumped. I love Kimmy. I think he's great. I think he'll be super fun in NASCAR. I, I have no idea. It's very cool in general that, you know, I mean, it's obviously different driving between yeah. Formula One and IndyCar and NASCAR and rally driving and trucks. But I think it's cool that these guys are like, yeah, I'm done with Formula One. I'm just going to keep driving in a different sort of promotion. I think it's really awesome. Like, I mean, it's you see it sort of with like an international guy like Marc Gasol. His NBA career might be done, but he'll go and play in Spain for a couple of years on the team that he owns or something like that. But it's not quite the same. That's a, you know, kind of end of the career stuff. This to me just seems like I love driving. I'm just going to keep driving. He honestly has, I love driving is right. It's like Kimmy has always said that it's like, this is what he likes to race. He hated every other part about F1. He hated the media. He hated the fame. He hated the glitz and the glamour. He was like, I like racing cars. And I honestly think this is going to be, this will be more of that for him. He won't be a big celebrity. He won't be the big name on the circuit. You know, <laughs> all the people packed in Bristol won't really give a crap about Kimmy. He'll just be out there and be able to race. And like, that's awesome, man. So, you know, I think his first race is going to be up at Watkins Glen, an iconic F1 uh, track, although I don't think he's ever raced there huh. at F1. So. Well, who knows? Maybe he will make it into a news segment here, getting a win, just like Marcus Erickson. Only time will tell. And only time will tell if you stick around after the break, because when we get back, we're going to Baku, baby. Back with no breaks, got a couple of great comments from the Slipstream team during the ad break there. Umberto asks if Kimi Raikkonen will still be able to qualify for the full Beans Driver of the Weekend award as a former F1 driver, uh, now going to be driving for NASCAR. A good question, but I think the answer comes from Max, who says no. He can get full corn. If you win a race, if you're a Formula One driver who wins a race in a different series in America, you get full corn. So that's going to have to be our secondary award. Marcus Harrison, our only full corn guide so far uh, since this is launched. So shout out to everybody uh, joining us live here right now. I don't know. Maybe we'll see Kimi win uh, next season at some point. But before we get to the Baku Grand Prix in Azerbaijan, let's take a quick look at the updated drivers and constructors standings after Monaco there. Up top in the driver standing, Max Verstappen, followed by Charles Leclerc. It's a nine-point lead for Verstappen. Sergio Perez holding on to P3 in the driver standings, followed by George Russell, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon, and Kevin Magnussen, still in 10th right now. Stacked up the points early in the season. As for the constructors, Standings, Red Bull making some way here up in P1, 235 points to Ferrari in P2, 199 points. That's a 36-point difference. That's a sizable chunk there. In P3, we've got Mercedes followed by McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Alpine, Alfa Tauri, Haas, Aston Martin, and Williams. That is the standings for now. Up next on the calendar, 
is Baku, but that's not going to be until June 10th. June 10th is practice, June 11th qualifying, June 12th is the race. Graydon, do you remember who was on last year's podium in Azerbaijan? So it was what Sergio Perez won the race. There you go. Right? And then who was number two? Did so it was did Lando get on the podium? Was he there? Not not uh, at this one. This was Vettel in P two and Gasly in P three. Oh, that's right. Okay, An unexpected okay. podium. I was a very say. unexpected podium. A very unexpected podium. As okay. for what we should expect, what can we expect uh, in Baku, Graydon? Who does this track favor? Who are you expecting to look good out there? So, I do think that. On the whole, this track probably slightly favors Ferrari because of how technical it is and how tight and, you know, how much of it is like windy, curvy corners and how sharp they look. Some of the same qualities that make them very strong in Monaco, very strong in Sector 3 in Spain are the sort of things that will make them strong around most of the track. However, the main straight in Baku is one of the widest and fastest anywhere on the track. So a great overtaking point and will be a huge opportunity for Red Bull if they happen to start behind Ferrari yet again, as they have several times throughout this season. So certainly overtaking opportunities will be there. I think that, um, however, unlike some races, certainly unlike Monaco, and certainly given the podium from last year that you just named, Chaos does kind of reign in Baku, and the likelihood of having an unexpected, you know, podium participant meaningfully higher than some of the recent races, uh, meaningfully higher. So it's hard to predict. I think this is a hard to predict one. But I do think that there's no good reason to think that Charles won't have another strong Saturday, but that Max won't be breathing down his neck come Sunday. I think there's there's no reason to kind of think that things would go otherwise so i don't know if they've announced this yet graden but um are they gonna have pit stops in this race because i can see that perhaps tripping up ferrari a little bit. Oh, yeah if they have to stop for new tires yeah they're gonna have to do they that are going to have to do that this time uh oh uh oh that could be bad that could be bad but if you're looking for an unpredictable podium Nothing would be more surprising than Mick Schumacher taking his first podium in Baku. Oh, that would be full beans for a weekend. But that's wow. a little bit from now. Like I said, June 10th through 12th is the Baku GP. So we will be back on June 14th. That's all I've got for today. Graydon, anything else you want to get to racing-wise? I think that's I think that's it from, from me. That's a lot of – that's – that's that's a lot of race and a lot of different motorsports we covered this week. We've covered a lot of motorsports, a lot of F1, but we dipped our toes in a couple of other different series as well. Uh, you're not going to hear much more about IndyCar and NASCAR unless something crazy happens. And I suppose it could, but that's it for no breaks. So follow Graydon on Twitter. He's at Mr. Gordian. That's MR, not the full on Mr. MR Gordian. NBA Finals start tomorrow, Graydon. Who are you going with, Warriors or Celtics? Okay, I think I'm going to go Warriors in six. I think I'm going Warriors in six. I, I, the Celtics, their length, their ability to switch, how defensively dynamic they are, really complicated for the Warriors. I just think the experience and the ceiling that the Warriors can play at is so high. What did, what did you, who'd you pick there? 
Warriors as well. We actually all four went Warriors on the oh, show. Oh, wow, really? I think, uh, yeah, I think Lee and Tass picked Warriors in six, and Skeets and I were Warriors in seven. I was a little surprised as well. I mean, you're seeing a ton of people. Uh, you're seeing a lot Celtics. of people picking the Celtics. And I think the – I will say as I've started to read more, the arguments for why to pick the Celtics are much stronger than I kind of imagined when you dig into the details. I still just think the Celtics are a little too like – they've blown one too many games. They've given anyone too many leads. The Warriors to me feel like the most likely to steal a game they shouldn't have won, which can make all the difference, stuff like that. Can't wait. That starts tomorrow. Oh, the NBA Finals. I love it. So that's uh, no that's NBA Finals stuff. If you want to learn about the NBA Finals, if you're a sicko, follow No Dunks on social media at No Dunks Inc. Anywhere and everywhere on the internet, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, wherever. Send us, me and Graydon, some F1 emails at nodunksattheathletic.com. You can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash nodunks. A lot of great writing on the NBA Finals, surely to come uh, from the Warriors and Celtics dudes there. Graydon and I will be back June 14th, No Dunks, back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern on the No Dunks channel to splash some sand and read some emails. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Stay speedy, people. Boom, boom.